Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. On our last episode about internet outrage. <laughs> I mean, isn't every episode about internet outrage? Right. And so, yeah. uh, we talked about Plain Bay, poor internet etiquette. This week, we discuss a different type of social media lightning rod, millennials and money. Elsewhere in internet outrage that is relevant to our interests, a thing that was like widely shared and like at least out the gate, like widely reviled was this Refinery29 money diary, which... You know how I love a money diary. (laughs) Yeah. Refinery29 has been doing this feature for... For years. Years. Which is a pretty standard, like I would say like almost old fashioned magazine trope of like I mean it's the sex diaries from New York. It's like sex diary, it's like food diary, it's yeah. So there are self reported accounts, like in the case of the money diaries, of how one spends one's money during a week. Right. Originally the piece was titled something to the effect of a week in New York City on twenty five dollars an hour. And to be clear, the money diarist does not write the headline. The money diarist just sends in there like, here's how I spend my money. (laughs) Yes. It was an article about a 21-year-old marketing intern in the HR industry who, it was revealed through the course of this money diary, also has like uh, parents who pay her rent and an $800 a month allowance and $300 from her grandpa. And to be clear, the money diarist disclosed all of this. This was not some sort of like deep, dark, hidden secret. Yes. It was not in the headline. And so I think that that is like one reason it came in for a lot of criticism. But it kind of, it became this like lightning rod that had to do with class and privilege. And the fact that it came on the heels of Kylie Jenner being on the cover of Forbes and the list of America's self-made richest self-made women was, I think, part of it. I mean, we're living in, like, a deep time of class rage. Right. People want to eat the rich. Like, it's Mary Antoinette times all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even though, like, you know, as as you have pointed out many times, Refinery29 has been publishing these money diaries for a long time, many of which have to do with people who are in some way supported by their parents or working jobs that they got through a family connection. I don't, I don't know. Like, maybe people are just getting woke to class rage right now. You know, in the, in the case of Kylie on the cover of Forbes, Forbes has been having, like, an index of where it rates who is a self-made person and to what degree they are a self-made person. For context, one is, like, I inherited every penny I own, like Paris Hilton. Ten is, like, I was born in pretty extreme poverty without any family connections and worked my way up to, like, the very upper, upper Pat financial... <laughs> Oprah Winfrey is a 10, is a pure 10. Like, they they even use that phrase. And so Kylie was rated by the magazine as a 7, meaning she had, like, some advantages, but, like, was pretty close to the middle of the line. For context, like, Mark Zuckerberg, who went to a private academy and went to Harvard and whose parents both have advanced degrees, was an 8, ranked slightly more privileged than Kylie. So, like, it's all subjective nonsense about, like, what level 
of privilege someone has had. But clearly what is what is going on is like, oh, this person is not just living on $25 an hour. She's living on family connections and privilege. Kylie is not self-made in like the sense of she came from very little money and zero family connections to build what she's got. Like, you know, the debate and the conversation is very much anger at a lack of transparency about baked in class advantage, essentially. That's fair. This this whole thing reminded me of like living in San Francisco where the class rage in San Francisco very much feels like millionaires angry at billionaires. <laughs> like, <laughs> is, like that's what counts as class rage. You know, it's like, oh, I only have one million dollars. You have 10 million dollars. And then they're all angry at like Jeff Bezos. And I felt that way when I was reading a lot of the response around this money diary. And it was interesting, like talking to a lot of my um, to my non-white friends about this, where we were all rolling our eyes, where a lot of the people that I saw like yelling the most about this piece, I was like, let's talk about how your parents pay your rent. You know, like, let's talk about the dirty secret of New York media is that in order to make it, you do come from money. Or let's, you know I mean? let's talk about the fact that you don't actually have student loans or something right, like that. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's interesting that it takes this kind of argument to make class relative, you know? Wow. Like when you're in a heterogeneous pool that wants to kill each other, I'm like, what's going on here? Right. <laughs> they're all the same. And I feel like the outrage was also really misplaced. Like, I get it. Yes. Like, we're definitely going to eat rich people alive. And there is this, you know, like socialism is back. I personally, like, do not believe that rich people are bad. I believe that, like, money is bad and capitalism is bad. But I think that, like, for many reasons, I'm totally down with at least certain kinds of people, like, pursuing being rich. It's still weirdly countercultural that you have women who have a lot of money. I was like, 40 years ago, you couldn't even get a credit card without your husband's, like, signature. So, yeah. like, clearly there is nuance to this conversation. And also, you know, I'm like, people of color, like, pursuing money and capitalism, I'm like, I am so down for this. The truth to me that is exposed in the outrage about all of this is actually, we should all be more honest about where our money comes yeah. from. Because the reason that I have historically liked reading the money diaries is that I was like, oh, this is how somebody who says that they make $25 an hour affords a $4,000 apartment in the West Village. The grandparents give them $300. The mom pays $800. Yep. You have this like weirdo allowance from somewhere else. It's literally how I learned like what trust funds were with like all these kinds of things were. Well, and, and then you can. And there is like transparency about it. Clearly, like Refinery did not frame it adequately. But the Money Diaries was very transparent. And like I was like, the Money Diaries is like more transparent than most of the people that are outraged about this Money Diary, about where their money comes from. Yeah, well, and also being honest about that sort of thing, which I think is the intent of this feature, being honest about that is like an important way to not feel shame about the fact that you right. don't have a $4,000 apartment in the East Village. Right. Be, or sorry, the West Village, wherever, whatever village, whatever expensive village. If you have a $4,000 apartment in the East Village, call me. <laughs> We're going to get you to live somewhere cheaper. <laughs> but, but, you know, like the idea that the rest of us who are watching that happen and are like, oh, my God, like, why can't I get it together to make a minimum investment in my right. 401k? Like the answer is wealth and privilege you have no control over. Like, exactly. Frankly. Right. So all of this to say to you that like, when there is mass outrage, even though the outrage is correct, like a healthy dose of skepticism is good at all times. Right. I want to see more people talk about the role that money has played in like the career decisions they've made and things like that. Like, especially if they are being lauded for their like shrewd choices. Like, I'm going to tell you right now that like most of my early career choices were based on necessity. Like, this is where I could get a job and like afford to live. Like, this is where... 
I had one friend connection from college. And so that's where I ended up. Like, you know, because my parents couldn't pick up the phone and call anyone in media. And that's not a sob story. It's just like a thing that I think it's important to be transparent about once you're 15, 20, 30 years deep in a career and someone is trying to make a go of it and are like, why is it so hard for me to be strategic? It's so hard for you to be strategic because like you don't, you don't have that many choices or connections and not, not that much money yet. Like it's you can't be strategic with very little. It's all about how many doubloons you're born into. <laughs> the doubloon economy. I know. I was like, I was born into a zero doubloon house. <laughs> but you know what? Like I figured it out. So it's just... Like, this stuff is just really fascinating because I like I feel like outrage like this, which is like I'm like, I understand where some of it comes. But some of it is like, like, especially if you're a person of color is so like eye roll worthy. I get it. But what I do want is more transparency about money and not less transparency. You know, so the exercise of the money diaries, however you feel about Refinery 29's like editorial mission around it and. It's how I feel about this New York Magazine sex diaries. I'm like, all these people are making this up. Like, this is self-reported, like, nonsense. People need to start having sex in the sex diaries again. Aside. I, this is a Trump um, era problem. Of, you know of, what like, I mean? Like, no one is having sex. But go on. Like, millennials, we're not having sex because we're <laughs> buying so much avocado. Uh, <laughs> like, that's the thing. But the truth is that, like, I want more people to talk about money in like real numbers. And that it was actually the appeal of the money diaries is that people tell you their salary. You see the kinds of decisions that they make. You're out here buying Siggy's yogurt and you pay $4,000 rent. You know, like it's not a great decision, but I like, I see why you do this. And especially like women talking about money, there's so much shame that is tied into that. And I was like, well, one way that you lift the shame is actually creating avenues where we can talk about this more honestly. Well, and I think we tried to do that, like our episode about the business of CYG, which is not like a balance sheet completely, but is kind of our way of being like, okay, like this is what percentage of our income comes from like this thing. Like I would love if everything I consumed did that or like had some level of transparency around that. Like I think about that all the time whenever, when I see like a restaurant health score, I'm like, yeah, your health score is an A, but how are you paying your employees? I would love like an employee pay score or something right. like it's that. Like, yeah. t- like I want more talk about money, not less, because it is educational for everybody around. And also like for a lot of population, it lifts the shame around like not having money and the way that you spend your money. It's why I love listening to uh, the Bad With Money podcast. With Gabby Dunn. With Gabby Dunn. And the thing about it that that has been, like, really fascinating is realizing that, like, oh, everybody processes their money shame differently. Like, some people are really upfront and honest about it. And I was like, oh, actually, like, this is one area that I do not like to share all of my bad spending habits. And listening to other people talk about it has been, like, one, very healing, but also, like, it has changed my habits. So all of this to say, less shame around money, more transparency about money. All white people have secret money, whether they tell you they don't oh or not. God. Well, and, and it's called like generational money. <laughs> like that's well, it's literally called inherited always, wealth. Right. It's like, like inherited wealth versus enslaved people. It's like welcome to how. Like yes, it's literally how you have something to show for, like to the next generation of your like family line that a lot of people don't. It's so called like difference. your people had to live within redlining, or your people got to live outside redlining. Exactly. Like, yeah. But it's like let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um. How much money do you make? No, I'm going to tell you. How do you make your money? How do I make my money? Um, I make my money through scamming predominantly. Oh my God, shut up. Um, Well, you know, this year actually has been interesting for me because I was sick. So the way that I make money has shifted drastically. I make money from this podcast, 
which used to be like my smallest income. And now that it's no longer the case, I still don't think it's the most money I make. I make money is from... Is that because the rest of your picture has changed or because... Yeah, it's because the rest of... It's because I know the answer the, to this, but I, mean, I have to ask I think, that, I think that it's both. It's like, actually, like, if I did nothing else, this podcast would still pay for, like, a very large chunk of my life. Mm-hmm. And I would probably have to, like, maybe write three or four things a year and be like, I could still pay my rent and be okay. You know, but, like, I cannot afford the amount of product that I need. <laughs> so that's true. So maybe the way to say it is that, like, this podcast pays for my rent. Mm-hmm. That's taken care of. And then I don't do a lot of the consulting that I used to do. So that's, like, what has taken, like, a toll. But also, like, I had a healthy amount of savings I was living off of. So it was my rainy day fund. And I was like, you know, this year financially for me is going to be a crapshoot, but I feel fine about it. Mm-hmm. How do you make your money, Ann Friedman? How much money do you make? <laughs> um... I make like six figures. Same. Um, I, half of which, like less than half of which is, well, I don't know. I actually, I haven't done the numbers for the last year because as you know, I'm only now filing my 2017 taxes, which is when I do. <laughs> IRS, don't look into us, please. Listen, which is when I do my pie chart of like how, what is the breakdown of all these like yeah. different ways? Like it's really different than someone who makes money on like a nine to five or like a staff job, right? Like, yes. so the percentages have shifted. It used to be that like all my money came from writing short articles for the internet. So I was in a volume game. <laughs> um, I remember this. Yeah. And then like, you know, around 2015, 2016, which is when we started selling ads on this podcast, which is when I started doing ads in the email newsletter that I send every Friday that started to shift. So like, I think as of the most recent time I looked at it, the podcast was like 40% of my income and the newsletter was like 10 or 15%. And then everything else is scamming, scamming, writing, <laughs> like some speaking or like consulty type things like yeah. with other media places. And I have my mother's father who passed away when I was like in seventh grade, owned a small town bank and lumberyard. And I get like thousand dollars a year in like dividends because everyone is in the family is like a member of that i love um, this yeah we own a bank listen <laughs> i think that is a slight exaggeration that's, but that's how i'm interpreting this that's my free white people money which comes in once a year and goes right back out again to reparations charity <laughs> um but it is something that, like, you know, it, it hasn't... When the economy was bad, it was, like, zero dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I could have used it most when my career was, like, weakest, I am sad to report that I didn't have it. And now that Damn. I live a comfortable life, after, like, 15 years of being in the business that I'm in, I'm like, all right, this is money that goes back into the world. But, yeah, that's my hidden white people money. Gina, tell us how you make your money. Yeah, so like Anne said, CYG makes up about half of my income, which has been really exciting from where we started. So that has also helped me launch my career further into podcasting. Before that, I was working pretty much entirely in public radio as a producer. So I got a lot of the skills that helped for podcasting. Nowadays, I do not work from an office. I don't do the radio day job thing, which has given me a lot of flexibility to take on a handful of different podcasting projects, which has just felt really kind of creative and generative and has been an exciting transformation. And then it's kind of come back full circle because now I produce a podcast for a public radio station here in LA. So it's a little bit of what I was doing before with what I do now. Um, In terms of my secret white people money, I am a multi-generation white Californian. So growing up, I knew 
I was super lucky. I went to a private school. I knew I was going to be able to go to the college of my choice without worrying so much about cost as a factor. But it really hit home later the extent to which having owned property in multiple generations of my family over time, especially in a market like California where the values went up and up and up and up, that just having a place, you know, even if it was a modest home at the time that you bought it, would really generate so much more wealth. And so much of that was driven by systemic racism, even a place like California. So um, so that's, you know, multi-generational, a lot of white people money. Not really a secret. <laughs> and this isn't a secret either. Uh, to make money on this show, you're going to hear ads now. Here's the question that I actually like to ask people is, what is the minimum amount of money that it takes for you to live your lifestyle as it is currently? I don't know. Actually, I don't know the answer to that. Really? Like if you had a salary that you were like, like if, if somebody was like, Anne, this freelance scam is over. You got to take a staff position somewhere. What is the minimum amount of money that you would take? Th- that's that a different like, question than what money does it take for me to live my life? Well, I mean, the reason that I'm putting it in the context of like a staff job is because with freelance, you're always like, I could do one more thing. You know what I mean? Oh my God. It's turned me into a monster libertarian where I'm like, I want an extra pair of boots this winter. I can take another assignment. Oh, I do that all the time. Um, You know, not to say that I don't enjoy doing all the things that I enjoy doing, but you know, sometimes you're like, I need like, you know, I'm like, I would like to take an extra vacation. Here is the project that allows me to do that. Here's why I can't answer that question is because I have like never made like a household budget. I mean, like my first two years of freelancing, I had a number where I'm like, okay, if you haven't hit this number by the end of the week, you are going to starve and not pay your rent. (laughs) Like, so like I knew there was one point in time when my finances were much more precarious that I had to be on top of it. But one thing about becoming more financially comfortable is like, you don't need to know down to like the last percentage point what you need. And like the, the answer is like, I have more money than I need like right now. Like that is the truth. It's not like I'm like, oh my God, I'm richie riching it. But like, you know, the reason I can't answer that question is the difference between like, this is what my kind of baseline expenses cost versus this is what I would like to make if I took a staff job based on my like experience and whatever else, like what I'm giving up in independence. Let's be real. You got to pay a strong fee if you're going to. Yeah, no, the independence fee is I'm like, that's where all the staff money comes into play for me. Um, Um, But anyway, that's why I can't answer that question. It's a privilege to not know an answer to that question is what I'm trying to say. Fair, fair, fair. It's funny, though, to bring it back to this Refinery29 article, though, I had this real moment where the original headline, I can't find it, but it did say something like the intern who makes $25 an hour and loves Siggy's yogurt. Yes, there was a huge Siggy's yogurt play. For me, like it was a really big moment in my life and career when I could buy whatever yogurt I wanted without whenever I was like not I didn't have to buy the like the store brand. I could buy fancy yogurt is a thing that I like really remember I remember coveting it when I couldn't afford it and I remember like when I kind of made like the financial level up shift to be able to spend quote like too much money on yogurt and so the fact that it was in a headline I was like this is speaking directly to me this is so fascinating because we talk about this a lot on the colorful lives podcast that I host with Angela Yee and uh Tanya Rapley Tanya Rapley runs this website called my fab finance the thing that like doing that show and talking to those ladies specifically about money has done for me is that 
it's like the emotional part of money spending has really bubbled up to the surface for mm. me. Like, it's interesting to hear you say, like, when my finances were not stable, like, my choice in yogurt was a thing. I was like, I've been eating my favorite yogurt even when I was at my Right, course. different, different because things. Because I, like, and, and part of, I think, like, my, like, financial insecurity has always been that I have a way of, like, there are things that I refuse to compromise on. <laughs> the and, Aminatuso story. <laughs> yeah, the Aminatuso story, you know, and, like, I'm like... I'm gonna buy that Liberté yogurt, like whatever, like whatever it means. And I'd be and like, it's my birthday. I'm buying the Liberté yogurt. <laughs> totally. You know, it's like the, it's like one twenty-five. Let's all be real. Oh, here. I know. Like and that's why I but no, there was a yeah. moment. There was a time in my life where that actually made a difference. Totally. And the thing that I realized that has clouded a lot of my money shame is that I am like very good at living within my means. I will pay rent. That's the first thing that money goes to. It's why I'm known to pay my rent. And like now that I have enough money to do this, where I pay it in chunks, where I'm like, okay, four months and then I don't have to think about it. That's my number one fear is like being homeless. Even though yesterday you promised me that if I was ever homeless, I could come live with you. So. And you rolled your eyes as if I were not telling the truth. Who says that? It means that. You don't know, I mean, I guess we're about to find out when I'm homeless. From What, what I said was, quote, <laughs> if I find out that you do not have a home and you did not call me first, I will be very upset. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like homelessness is like a huge fear that I have just because it's like rent, like rent is like a ginormous yes, chunk of, of money. Course. And after that, like for me, the thing that would always take its toll was I was like, well, here are the comfortable things that it takes for me to feel like my life is not falling apart. And sometimes that meant a fancy yogurt. Other times it has meant like a fancy cream or, you know, now when I look at it, I was like, oh, that's actually money that I could have been saving. Thinking Wait, about wow, is um, this a tacit endorsement of the like you buy too much avocado toast in lattes? No, it's it's not. Um, it's not a tacit and like I don't actually believe in that. I was like, no, there are like huge historical forces for why people are broke. But I do think that when it comes to building money habits, uh-huh. there are things that you need to you know like that's where actually financial responsibility comes into play. It's like you can live in like the best social estate and still be broke if you don't know how to manage your money. The whole point of personal finance is not necessarily to make you rich. It's to teach you how to live within your means and then to teach you how to like generate more money if that's what you need. So anyway, um, that's that. This is what uh, Tanya calls uh, your, your money journey. I have historically been bad at saving because I always will like pay premium for things that I like shouldn't have. And also because... A lot of times, like, that stuff meant more to me in the moment. It was like, wow, my situation is so precarious that all it takes is this, like, one nice thing to make me feel like my life is not falling apart, you know? And also you know? the financial benefit of a savings account. Like, let's be real. Like, it's important to have a have savings, especially if you're self-employed. But, like, the incentives there where you're like, oh, I get to see, like, a 12-cent, like, balance increase due to, like you know, the savings account, like, does not feel... Girl, we need to get you a high-yield savings account. Listen, I'm worried about you. I definitely... <laughs> but for real, I'm talking, I'm, about, I'm talking about, like, when you're trying to make that decision between, like, should I save a tiny bit or should I, like, buy this tiny luxury is, like, the benefit of, like, oh, wow, yeah, like, my $200 savings cushion, that's a really big deal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's no. easy to downplay totally, the meaning of that. Totally, 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 yeah. totally. And it's just the kind of thing where, like, you... Like, for me, the thing that put all of this in perspective, honestly, was having cancer this year where I was like, wow, like, yeah, I have cancer, but also, like, I'm hashtag blessed. I was able to truly take, like, seven months off of work. Like, how many people can say that? 
that they're like, I this have is enough. America. No one. Can yeah, you know, yeah. And like, like all of the stats on that are that like the majority of Americans do not have enough money for a five hundred dollar emergency. You know what I mean? And I was like, that was me, not even two years ago. Right. So the fact that I was able to. You know, I was like, I don't have like unemployment insurance, but my unemployment insurance was this like savings account that I had and the way that I have structured, you know, how I make my money. And I think about that a lot. And now that I'm better, I feel a lot of guilt about it. And also the way that you were up informs how you spend money, which totally. is a thing, which is a thing that I it's like the more the like the older I get, the more I'm like, hmm. I replicate a lot of my parents, like the good things that they did and the mistakes that they made. And this thing about like always having like a nice thing when you can't afford it. That's literally the house that I grew up in where it was like, there would be champagne in the fridge until there was no money, you know? And then, and then we weren't my, like you always knew what day my dad got paid because it was like nice chocolate. And it was always like premium articles of things. And I was like, oh, like I have internalized that. And I do that again. And that is a point of comfort for me, but I need to learn how to break that if I'm going to, you know, like financially break free from my demons. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a whole thing. And also, you know, it's like planning for like and I think about this a lot, too, with like retirement and all this stuff where I'm like, well, like I like what am I saving all this money for? Is it that I want to buy a house? Is it that I, you know, I like want to retire well? Like, what does it mean to like be like yeah, a what are your goals? Right. It's like what does also like mean to be a long term single person and mm-hmm. like do all this stuff? It like life is so much more expensive when you're alone. Totally. You know? And so it is like that for me, like that's the class rage that I feel. I'm always like whenever like I have friends that are couples that complain to me about money, I'm like, I understand this, but I'm like you have like I was like, our struggles are not the same. Well, but and also, also people, I support my family. There's also you know? people in couples who are supporting another person who is like, let's be real. How many women do I know who are currently know. or who at various points have been in a relationship with a man who is just a financial like black hole? I know. But, the, know? but the idea like, of that is that like it's an investment, right? It's like, I'm going to support you while you go to law school. I'm not saying it's a good investment. I'm just saying that it's an investment. I'm actually not sure. Personal, personal, like, like people who I know, I'm not sure they even see it that way. I think that Ooh. like, it's almost like, it's like some kind of like hetero love tax where they're like, I'm going to, I'm not even kidding. Where they're like, they're like, I love you. And you're just like not getting totally. together. And support. But like, but so if you don't talk about it, you make hella assumptions about how all of your, like, I'm not even talking about strangers. I'm talking about the people that you love that are in your life. You make assumptions even about what money means to those people. Right. And it creates like tension or not tension or, you know, something as dumb as like, Remember all of those vacations that you would go on in your 20s and then it was like, wow, we do not have enough money for this vacation. Now everybody's sleeping on the floor. Wait, what vacations do we go on in like, our 20s? Not, like, this was a recurring theme for me in my friend group. I'm groups. like, we were going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. You know, like this thing about like how, or I guess maybe the recurring tension in my 20s, and not that it was a big tension, but now I recognize it as tension point, is that you do group activities with people without ever discussing the level of financial commitment that everybody can have to something. And, you know, and then you're like, where I like, I remember this famous beach trip that would always happen where this one person in the group that was definitely older and had more money than everybody else. Cause all of the food was socialized would always like buy the most expensive of everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're literally a millionaire. This is the millionaire billionaire class <laughs> buying croissants for like all the kids who have no money. And I remember like people feeling so upset about that. And I was like, wow, today I have the tools to know that all somebody needed to say was like, hey, 
maybe um you know like buying a poise cheese is not the best <laughs> use of our money on this trip but it sounds really dumb but i'm like people don't communicate about money enough well also um this is i i've long thought about the fact that like I know that, like, there are things like Venmo for, like, planning and sharing, like, group trip expenses. But, like, what if there were seriously a checklist that is, like, okay, like, what is ev- what is the responsibility of everyone in this group in terms of, like, who is activity planning, who is booking stuff in advance versus, mm-hmm. like, who is getting shit together on the day of? Totally. Also, what is everyone's budget for this trip? Right. A question that should be the top of any, like, group planning activity duck. And I have to say that, like, this much-reviled Refinery29 diary contains a few instances of her being out with large groups of friends where she has sticker shock when like her percentage of the check arrives and like granted that is clearly not the difference for her between making rent and not making rent but like that experience of like oh my god we didn't actually talk about what all of our expectations were Mm -hmm. in part because it's annoying to have to do math when you're picking a restaurant on top of everything all your other considerations like i know why it happens but these are all like more nuanced and more universal problems than like the general class outcry, which is also warranted, but like for different reasons. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's also like, I feel like it's a real sign of intimacy when you can be real with your friends about money. Like, I know that with us, when we were becoming friends, like the, hey, sorry, I can't go out today. I'm broke. Yeah. Like that was a real, like, I was like, oh, like, you like know my situation, you know? So we'd like sit on your couch and you make orecchiette and like we, you know, yeah. and we still had like a fancy dinner, but it was truly like two buck mm. chuck mm. and like, you Bless know, you. like two buck chuck, like all that stuff. And I don't know, like I, I like like knowing people, my friends knowing my money situation and me knowing their money situation is a barometer for like how healthy is our friendship. Mm-hmm. And well, and also like the idea of how do you thank people who were not inherited money style, but like low key patrons of yours. And I'm talking about people who have like kicked me work when they know that like yeah. I am really broke or who have been like, listen, I know you're super stressed. Here is an assignment that is going to be pretty easy for you. That comes with a pretty high totally. dollar amount, like that kind of stuff that gets you through. And then also, like, as you said, the basic, like, can I make you dinner level? And it is like, it shouldn't be awkward, right? Like acknowledging that like the world is not fair Capitalism is a scam. Lots of very valuable work is valued at like a lower dollar amount than like other work. We don't set the rates out in the world. Like we don't predict. Right. We don't we don't control like what is inherited from your family. But like, you know, what you can control is discussing your needs and expectations with friends. Totally. And you can kind of say like, it makes me feel like shit when you offer to pay every time. I just want to pick, I just want to go to a cheaper place. Yeah. Like that's a conversation I haven't been able to have with friends at, at times of like, it's not that I'm broke. It's not that I can't eat out. I just can't eat out at the place you want to eat out at. Right. I and wanna, I don't want you to pay for me every time. I'm not trying to keep up with your Joneses. You know what I yeah. mean? And also it's true. And also like, I, I love that. And just having like honest conversations about it because we're also like, you know, friends with a lot of people who you're right, who have like kicked us work, people who have supported us going to things. Like I'm thinking about like Ruth Ann Harnish, you oh my know, God. And, and just like how who we have things gen- publicly. On yeah. The you know what I mean? Yeah. Who is like so generous with like how she spends her money and her time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that's how we've been able to do so much stuff on CYG and thinking about it, you know, as like, um, 
like, how do you foster community, right, through the resources that you have? And you're also somebody, like, that is, like, incredibly generous with your money and everything. Because, you know, like, we, like, I think we talked about this on this podcast. Remember for a long time, Anne, you were, like, of my friends, like, or in the ways that we lived, I was like, wow, like, you are so rich. And, but I, like, I don't mean, like, swimming in doubloons. I literally mean, like, the difference between, like, I know a person with a savings account. <laughs> You know, even though, like, that savings account had, like, just enough to, like, do one grocery Speaking run. Speaking of family baggage, if I did not have a savings <laughs> account, I feel like I could, like, I would have to give up my family name. Like, this uh, is some real Midwest practicality. <laughs> Midwest practicality <laughs> shit. Yeah. Now, I feel like I want to email your mom and be like, what are we going to do with this lumberyard? I'm trying to throw a party now. Oh, my God. <laughs> building materials? <laughs> yeah. It's actually called building materials. That's the most Iowa thing ever. Like, we didn't even name our lumberyard. It's just the name is what it sells. Listen, that's, like, very hipster. <laughs> 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 like like the way that like all like hipster gentrification outposts are called like bloody blood dry goods or yes. such, such general <laughs> store I'm oh like I'm like who's out here on the gentrification oh. frontier calling it the dry goods store oh my god I see you shoppy with two peas shoppy with two peas not the frontier oh my god okay oh my all god. of this to say um <laughs> call your girlfriends and ask them about money yes um and also, like, if you feel awkward about it, they probably feel awkward about it. So uh, everyone feels awkward about it. I'm like sweating mm-hmm. profusely having just having just like said that. I know. Maybe we should start whenever we have guests on the show. We should start asking them how much money they make. <laughs> what What's your annual salary? What's like, your annual? I'm like, how much money did you make this year? I'll tell you how much money I made this year. I'll write it on a piece of paper for you. Slide it over to me. Yeah, I don't want to tell people on the podcast because I'm trying to make double that. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's enough to be swimming in Aesop products is all I'll say. Girl, I gotta say, staying at your house, like my favorite hotel. <laughs> it's the only place I can sleep on an airbed and feel like a queen. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything else is a mirage. <laughs> everything else is so quality. I'm like, my body doesn't even compute the air mattress. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's the best. Um, all right, I'll see you and your bank account on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> see you and my doubloons on the internet. <laughs> You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.